Hey host, Sarah here with a quick trigger warning about this week's episode. Our content today does include conversations around sexual assault, violence, and manipulation of minors. If this is a topic that makes you uncomfortable, please feel free to skip this week's episode, and we look forward to having you join us again next week. The Homance Chronicles. The female equivalent of a bromance. So many poor choices. But so many good types. But so many poor choices. <laughs> <laughs> We just kind of jump into these episodes anyway. There's not ever really a smooth intro, so don't worry about it. No. <laughs> so this is the Homance Chronicles, and I'm Sarah. <laughs> and I'm Nicole. And our guest today um, has already, I, I think, solidified herself as like part of the Homance before we yeah. even started recording because Probably. she's just a cool chick and seems so easy to talk to i'm sure that's part of the reason why she's so successful in what she does so without further ado i'd like to welcome professor author and advocate dr lisa smith hello how are you good for having me i'm so so really happy we could connect on this topic i'm happy that you reached out because it's not necessarily something that would have connected us naturally like a lot of times I get an email saying here's some suggested people to have on the show and although we talk about relationships and mental health and trauma um, your expertise is more in I'll say sex crimes with children. And so that is a little bit of a different take than what we normally do. And, you know, we try to keep things lighthearted over here, but this right. is a serious conversation. So yeah. we're, you know, we'll, we'll try to mix it up. <laughs> well, yeah, it might be. It does fit in because those children become adults. And I'm yes. sure many of your listeners, if the stat is correct, has some sexual trauma. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm sure. And, and oh, God forbid, but hopefully none of their children have to go through it. And if they do though, we have the ability to help them out Absolutely. or at least tell friends. It's just, it's just good to have a conversation about and just make sure everybody has access to it, the help. Absolutely. Absolutely. Truly. And one of the things that I find extremely admirable about what you do is taking this very serious topic and making it digestible for children so that they understand that what's happening is not okay mm-hmm. and um you know signs for how to look out for it uh, you know guidance and how to talk about it all of these things which i would i don't even know how i would start like that just seems like such an overwhelming task in my brain like I give you so much credit. <laughs> right. It's like, to me, it's the same level of topic broaching as like school shootings. Right. And why we have to talk to our children about school shootings. It's Absolutely. a reality that we have to deal with. And so before we keep going, though, why don't you give everybody listening just a little elevator pitch of what it is that you bring to the table today. So they all know exactly what we're talking about. Sure. So, as you know, I, uh, my name is Dr. Lisa Smith. And I teach parents how to talk to their children and teens, we don't wanna leave them out, and teens about how to deter sexual violence, how to deter a sex offender. And I give tips and resources that help them have this conversation because most kids are Mm ill-prepared. And so our parents, let's be real. Absolutely, absolutely. So if you have listeners who are like, I don't know why my five-year-old would have to have this conversation. And I'm not really sure they should have this conversation until they're, they've hit puberty. Well, the numbers are so horrifying. If you're talking about kids below the age of eight who have been approached, if it's not online, if it's not by other kids, then we're not, we're not having fruitful conversations. When I first saw porn, 
it was by another kid on my block, right? right? Mm-hmm. I, it was on the bus. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and the parents are never around, right? And so there's loads of scenarios for kids that um, even if you're not a child and you have some sexual assault history uh, in your past, you will, that, that will affect your sexual identity. And everybody in, because I have, I have children's books, I have academic books, um, and there's no one that I don't talk to about this, right? <clears throat> so when you look at one in four girls, and really it's a lower number because reporting is a problem, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And you look at one in six boys. If we were just to look at the three people here, one of us has been sexually assaulted. Me, mm-hmm. right? If there was, if we add another, then, you know, the, the numbers get higher. And I always say to parents who are like, this is not a topic I want to talk to my child about. And I said, well, you give me the four girls, you know, and which one um, would you uh, say um, was victimized or could be victimized? Because my niece told us about a four-year-old who approached her about, and luckily she had body boundaries that he was gonna hit her if she didn't show her private parts. So the conversation is taking place whether parents wanna have it or not. The mm-hmm. question is, you know, and it's, it's crazy. Conversation. It's crazy that society still likes to turn the other way when it comes to these things. I don't understand it truly. I don't understand it because I mean, I've seen even so now more so than ever with the internet availability and people, the Me Too movements, et cetera, how people are so willing to share their stories now with strangers around how their stepfathers or uncles were abusing them and how the mom wouldn't do anything about it, wouldn't believe them. And so created this horrible, horrible, horrible experience for these kids. And now people are more and more realizing it is something that can happen and I think but it's just the fear and the stigma that it could never happen to me so let me ask you because this is an important point there's three women here how many of you have been put in a precarious position oh I have stages of your life in which you're trying to keep yourself safe yeah oh yeah I mean you could just think back about being at your high school all night roller skate party, your first time sleeping over at a best friend's house who has an older brother. I mean, you just, how many times, uh, countless times. That's the bus, exactly on the, the bus, bus, on the yes. way to a field trip or something when there's not a parent sitting back there. There's so many different situations. On the subway, right? And mm-hmm. people think that it's just women, right? It's also little boys. I was going to say, I feel like that number is statistically low. The number you shared because, and I'm, I'm not trying to be funny, but mm-hmm. true crime specialist over here in my head, I'm always thinking, well, serial killers typically go for younger boys and, you know, younger men. So I feel like that number should be a lot higher. Honestly. It is a lot higher, but like I said, reporting. The reporting. Yeah. Well, and right? the convictions. That's true. That's yeah, that's part. And so, if you think about it, how many young girls or young boys do you know were sexually assaulted? They come to their parents, and their parents said, "Well, I don't believe that happened to you," or or you, said, you're making a big deal out of it, or it wasn't. Say, I'm not going to do anything because I don't want to get that kid in trouble, right? I don't want to talk to their deal parents. with that parent. Yep. Exactly. Accuse accuse an adult of something over, you know, believing your child. And I I feel like we need to stop doing that. We need to start listening to our children and really take what they say as their, that's reality. That's their reality. It's worse than reality, right? Because a six-year-old who has never had the conversation does not have the tools to fend off a sex predator or a sex offender. And many people think they're the same thing. And I'm, I'm telling you, they're absolutely not. So what's the difference? Can you tell our our people? Yeah, absolutely. A predator is 
interested in children, this is a way of life for them. A sex offender could be your juvenile, right? The brother who's at your girlfriend's house when you spend the night and he's groping you. Unwanted, inappropriate, or he slips into the room that you're sleeping in and he's, he's touching you. Like we don't talk about juvenile sex offenders. In fact, um, they're much younger than you think they are and they look for vulnerable children. So a sex offender often does not make this a practice. So with juveniles, they may sexually assault um, their siblings. They may sexually assault their siblings' friends. They may sexually assault younger children. They may sexually assault their girlfriend who says no, but they want it. Um, and so generally we're looking at young children under the age of eight, we would call them youth of the world, who are sexually active or curious and their behavior leads to um, harmful behavior, right? Okay. Sexual, some form of sexual violence. Even, I mean, a lot of people wouldn't put molestation and groping and sexual violence, but it absolutely is if there isn't consent. And even a child who consents because sex offenders <clears throat> want to have that relationship. Uh, they want to have that sexual um, they, they, they want to have sex. Okay. Like I said, it doesn't matter that they're six years old. It doesn't matter that they're seven. Right. So the conversations, we don't, we don't prepare our kids for other little kids in class, in their classrooms, who's been exposed to some right. type of sexual behavior, um, unwanted sexual practices, because we assume that the kids that go to our kids' school are healthy and trauma-free. And we know that's not true, right? So like I said, the spectrum of children, my earliest case was a little 18-month-old who was assaulted by her uncle, okay? And died as a result of it. <sighs> and that... Uh, made news but for the four-year-old whose father is sexually I, ha I have someone who um, contacted me on Instagram who said I need your help right so the father is sexually assaulting her daughter he has custody for the weekends right but he how does she know this because her daughter is asking her for anal is asking her for oral sex. She's four years old. She's four. And, and she's asking her mom for these sexual yeah, favors, not absolutely. knowing what she's asking for. Absolutely. Well, she knows because now she's been introduced to it. So the judge doesn't believe the two therapists who are assisting her, who she's told this, he won't allow them to come and testify. And so... She continues to have to go to her, the home where she is being traumatized. And what happens? She starts acting out. Kids always act out. Adults act out. Right. I mean, it, at, this, at this point in the mental health industry, we know that when children are not being heard, their needs are not being met, they start to act out for attention, good or bad. Absolutely. And, she's, and she tells her mother because her mother's doing everything she possibly can but law enforcement won't take her seriously. CPS, which we call Child Protective Services, doesn't take her seriously. And I can't tell you how many first responders will not do a rape kit. They will not make a report. And this is the reason why the number of reporting is so low. That's very I can only imagine that it's actually even worse when it's a woman who's the offender. I I'm saying that the reporting is probably even lower because if they're not believing that it's a man offending a child, not which is to typical, believe that it's a woman, like, because even then the, the stereotypes and the sexism and all of that comes into people's biases 
and what they choose to believe. And so I can't even imagine how many times there's people who are um, sexually assaulted by women where it's just, it's completely unnoted. Like you'll never hear about it. Right, right. And in, in my book, I have four people who provide their story. Out of the four, one was sexually assaulted, a boy, by his 11-year-old cousin who took the opportunity to, um, every time grandma went out shopping, she took the opportunity to play this sex game with him. He was five when when it began, right? So in um, The Blaming and Shaming of Defenseless Victims, which is my new book, it came out in April, Oh, plug. This is where these stories are. Um, I, and, and there are a large number of young boys who've been sexually assaulted by babysitters. Babysitters who are responsible for them getting dressed and undressed, making their food, and the parents are not at home. So who saves them? You know, it's funny. Um, uh, somebody not in my ecosystem, but adjacent to me had a caretaker growing up. They, I think were predominantly white family and their caretaker was Filipino. Mm -hmm. And this person sought out a Filipino wife Mm. forevermore. (laughs) And there's always been that question of, was there ever that relationship that was inappropriate between the two of them that caused him to have this preference. And he just didn't know any better because he was a small child. Absolutely, right? And so with boys, and you bring up a really good point because how does the sexual assault affect preferences later? Mm -hmm. It affects sexual identity later. And so that trauma may have felt good, right? Even though that child does not know it's wrong there's still pleasure in it. And so you connect that with an orgasmic feeling, then you then this person finds a type in their abuser. And so subconsciously they're looking for that similar type from the abuser. This happens repeatedly when, we, when we're looking at incest. Mm-hmm. We, this happens repeatedly when we're looking at um repeated trauma over time right Mm -hmm. i'm talking about sexual abuse because sexual assault and rape they're not the same when we talk about sexual abuse we're talking about long-term sexual abuse um that might have started as groping and then it moved to more advanced um penetration and sometimes it starts with digital penetration of finger and then it moves to the more advanced types. Now, you bring up a good point about women because most of the time, the statistics are looking at men, mm-hmm. right? Yep. But we know, we know inappropriate moms. We know inappropriate sisters. We know we've, we know we've been around people who your hackles get up when you're like, what? doing in there with that person mm. along with the door closed right yeah. but we don't have those conversations we don't even have those conversations with as as kids we know there's somebody we need to stay away from the entire block knows it the entire <laughs> how is it that the adults don't know right they do know they just choose to ignore it Exactly. Right. And so a predator will seek out jobs so they have access. Uh, Larry Nazar mm. was the U.S. gymnastics mm-hmm. because he had access. Right. And that number, the longer he stays in jail, that number continues to go up. Nobody mm-hmm. wants to talk about Bill Cosby and, and R. Kelly, especially in the black community, because they're supposed to be heroes. But you got you got hundreds of people that have been victimized between those two alone Mm -hmm. so so what my messaging is is that it's happening whether you want to talk to your kids about it or not it's happening if you go and talk to your child today 
they will tell you someone said something inappropriate, sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. And that went on until that person started to touch them, right? And sometimes it's not the teacher. Sometimes it's the cute little boy that you pick up every morning or cute little girl and take the school with your child. Yeah, mm -hmm. my friend's son, he's, well, he was 12 when this happened, but um, he's a single parent and just was struggling to find places for his son to go after school until he could come pick him up. And he had a neighbor that was helping out, which made it really convenient. But then there was a friend at the neighbor's house, which, and they're all around the same age, the boys. Mm -hmm. So now there's three of them. Well, the third one that's introduced, that's not the neighbor's kid is the one that was showing porn to them. So then now my friend as a single father is like, well, I thought that that was a safe place to take it. And it's not necessarily, I guess, the neighbor's fault, like the person who was there okay. that this third party brought in this brought in porn. But at the same time, I mean, I, it's not I, something I, you even think about. It's not. And I mean, it's great that they have a relationship where his son felt comfortable to tell him about it. But what if the other kid didn't tell their dad? Right. Or and, what if no one goes back to the third party kid and says, hey, your kid's showing our kid inappropriate stuff? Because my guess is it probably they probably didn't have that conversation. I don't know. I'm just saying, like, I don't I don't I don't know if it really domino affected into anything or if they were just like going by nope. the boys will be boys yeah you know? I was gonna say, oh just young guys being young boys and like, what young age kids being young kids 12 and see this is what this is what people refuse to believe not only one in four and one in six boys but the most vulnerable most likeliest group to be victimized is under 18 mm -hmm. they're, they're girls and their children who are most likely 10 years or younger and so I have books for five to nine, but still that's not enough, right? I have two books that are that Chad keeps a secret that gives a scenario, but the kids are the superheroes, right? We have to teach our children to be able to help each other. Because like I said, parents are not in the room. They mm -hmm. might not be in the they might not be in the room for hours. Right. And then the question is, is how does a sex offender pose certain types of information to keep secret? So when we start looking at little kids, sometimes the price they pay for violation and penetration of their body is small. It's like candy. I'll give you candy if you let me do this. Mm -hmm. Right. And so what we don't understand is. The parent lets the person into the house or takes the child there because, of course, the child is dependent, right? Mm -hmm. So the child goes to someone else's house and is exposed to someone there, right? And there's a lot of parents are like, well, my child's just not going to, that's not going to save them. Mm -hmm. You have to teach them body boundaries when they're young and you have right. to teach them about secret keeping. Now, if you're secret keeping for a birthday party, yeah, no, don't tell me. <laughs> but if you're secret keeping because someone is touching you inappropriately, and listen, it starts small. An offender will wait weeks, months, even years. A predator will, will target your child because your child has certain vulnerabilities. And that's through the family. Grooming, as many people think, is just for the child. No, a family is groomed okay there was a serial killer and i cannot remember again going back to crime can't remember for the life of me but there was a special on netflix or something he ended up being able to infiltrate the entire family the mom dad everybody got involved and it was like decades of him grooming the younger girls and then eventually convincing one to leave the family and run away with him and get married and the like sounds parent, like the mormon church yeah right <laughs> 
well, or any organized religion. The problem with that is that <laughs> you have child brides, but you don't mm-hmm. have to. You don't have to look in Utah. We've got countries that allow that, mm-hmm. right? Well, that's and that's a whole nother. Yeah, but it it seems like it seems like parents don't want to admit also that they allowed somebody like that to trick them or they missed that thing. So how do you tell kids like, how do you, I guess like give us again, let me be a little elevator pitch of like, what's your basic way or communication method for kids when maybe, you know, parents aren't going to fully believe them or do you even have a tool like that? Where oh, kids can have oh, access absolutely. to it? Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, I'm glad you said that parents don't often want to admit that, right? Right. And so I have I I have this I've devised this theory called deny. It's called dis theory. Now, as you know, in the African American culture, if you diss me, you disrespected me all over, right? Mm-hmm. But this is denial, inaction, information suppression, right? So first, parents denial, and this can happen to the child themselves or to the the team. How could I have let this happen? And then there are those who go into shock. So they'll take that piece of information and lock it away and act as if nothing happened. That's still denial. Denial of a body violation, right? Mm -hmm. So how would you have a conversation with a child who went into shock? And the child does not know that these are the responses. So where does that information come from, right? The parents have to say, if someone touches you inappropriately or penetrates you, because here's the thing, 93% of victims, within the nine minutes that we have a conversation here, Child Protective Services confirms a sexual assault on a child, right? To talk to a kid about, a child about this, you have to tell them, listen, there are people out there that you know that may harm you in this way. And so the very best thing you can do for them is give them scenarios. And then we'll talk them through the problem solving. If someone approaches you that you love and adore and says, can I touch you here? This is what I want you to say. Now, people don't, people don't understand. The word no is very powerful, but no can't be by itself. No, don't touch me there. Loudness, octaves, make sure that they're screaming it because most of the time there's some protective adult that's not far away, mm-hmm. right? Some of this assault happens in the house when mommy's sleeping, when daddy's upstairs, right? And so there's there's stolen moments. So this can happen. First of all, they need to know that the person who might approach them is not some stranger. Stranger danger doesn't apply here. 93% of children and teens know the person who is abusing them, assaulting them, or raping them, okay? So let's get that out of the way. Somebody might come into the house and hurt you, right? By touching you, right? Or penetrating you, right? So first you have to have that conversation and they have to have different scenarios. Why do I say that? Because who knows how it's going to happen. But if they're not aware that this can potentially happen, and let's say they're in a room by themselves, the first thing and the consistent thing they must say is, even if it happens anyway, right, is I'm going to tell my mom. My mom is going to know everything you did. My mom, my dad, they're going to know everything you did. And I'm going to tell my teacher. And I'm going to tell my sister. And I'm going to tell anybody who's listening. Because that's the thing that makes sexual assault and violence so powerful. The secret keeping. Mm-hmm. Right? Because yeah, and those secrets will just eat away at people. I mean, and turn them into murderers. Right. So when we say in action, okay, so let's say this is a child who knows nothing about it. They've been given candy. They've been paid off. They've been taken to um, some some place. They've they've gotten a, a toy. Like I said, the gift giving is usually very small. I have had students who t- 
told me, well, they gave me candy. Now, later, they're cheap. They're not even a dollar, right? But if they continue to, sure, I let him because he was giving me something, right? But if they don't know to expect it, then they don't know how to combat it. They don't know how to deter it. Right. And, and they need to say, if I can give one morsel or a key to the kingdom, no, don't touch me there the minute they touch me. And consistently say, I don't keep secrets when you touch me. That makes the offender move on. Right. So but basically- child, Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I, I was just like, so basically to answer- it's you try to get kids to say, I'm going to tell everybody, not just my mom, not just my dad. I'm going to tell everybody on you. There's no way anybody's going to not know about that. I'm tell I don't keep secrets. So. Right. Right. And so you got to understand it's a social, there's a social dynamic to this and the social power that this offender has as they select their victims. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times they don't talk about the social dynamic right? But they have social power, right? Because they say, well, if you tell someone, I'm going to get in trouble, right? And you get in trouble, do you? Right? So there's this coercion, right? That makes this child who doesn't have the cognitive skills and doesn't have um, the, the tools to give appropriate responses to that. Yeah. They haven't learned the, um, Stop being and, polite and fuck off. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And why would they? <laughs> why would they? Their parents yeah. don't think they need to talk to them about sex until they're much older. So do you think this should be part of the curriculum in school? Personally, I know that a lot of parents would find that to be offensive, but so is sexual education. The thing I'm I would challenge that with is the fact that we are all for telling kids about stranger danger. So why isn't this as valid as that? Well, there are a lot of initiatives. I know here where I live in Florida, there are initiatives, but there are. Um, uh, but the only reason why I think that that initiative um, is so powerful here is because um, the woman from Lawrence Kids she was sexually assaulted and her father, I believe, was either a state representative or a state senator. Mm-hmm. And she was assaulted over periods of time. So since her story came to light, there's a lot more acceptance. And she actually goes into schools, public schools, elementary schools, and teaches that. But if you have certain states where there's a lot of restrictions around the type of information. Anything with sex is not allowed. Anything right. with sexual orientation is not allowed. Then it's up to us at the grassroots because, okay, so the school doesn't want to teach that to your child. That's, for many people, parents tell me, that's not the school's job. I got you there. I totally agree. If you believe that that's not the school's job, then you must do it. And right. Parents all the time. You're not going to be there. You can scream it from the from the from the mountaintops, but in doing so, I always ask. So, what would you prefer to have the conversation before or after? Mm-hmm. Right, because and that's the reality of it. You're reacting before you're proactive, and the question is, why? Um, why is talking about so sex, sex talking about sex a problem when it comes to keeping them safe? Right? Uh, yeah, I mean I, I can understand parents not wanting to tell kids about sex giving sex sex ed talks. That's that's one thing. You don't want them to engage yeah, but, in that. But they give conversation. I mean, there's loads of books and conversations on body boundaries. Mm-hmm. And so while you're teaching body boundaries, you can have the conversation about if a kid in your class comes and talks to you about this, if a um, family member who spent the night in your room, and this is another thing I always tell parents, if you're going to allow a family member to sleep in the child's room or the teen's room, they need not be in there. Mm-mm. Okay. Oh, they no. need to be in a totally different space or they need to sleep with you, right? So a lot of these things happen at night. 
So if your child is going for a sleepover, there are oftentimes kids call their parents, I'm scared, can you come get me? I wanna come home. Mm -hmm. Why can't you include that type of conversation when you're telling them, if you get scared or you need anything or you don't like what's happening or you don't like what somebody says, call me, right? You have mm -hmm. that same conversation with the child, right? Right. Why wouldn't you have the same conversation? And if somebody touches you and you don't like it, then you add to that. There's right. so many different opportunities where you are teaching the child about the potentiality for this to happen to them because they won't be there. That is certain. Yeah. I mean, right at the beginning of the episode, you asked about experiences and the two I named was not even that they ha actually happened to me personally, but I'm like thinking about how there's the opportunity. It's very opportunistic yeah. um, to, I, to be somewhere else and have it happen at night. Yeah. So I'm thinking like now I'm, I don't have children. I have no plans at all, but I have, I'm in that zone now where all my friends are have, or are having children. And well, one of my auntie. <laughs> no, yeah, I'm going to be a great auntie. I'm just going to be the coolest auntie on the planet. <laughs> That's been goals the entire time. Well, I just want to say this. Listen, <laughs> I used to say that all the time. Cause I had younger sisters and you know, I had infertility issues and couldn't. So I'm the perfect auntie. Mm -hmm. And when my niece tells me crazy things, like she, like she told, tells us, I, my first question is, so how can we help you be safe? What kind of, if, cause she's, she, you know, she's 10 now and there's a lot of pushback. What, what can I do to help you feel safe? Right. There's always going to be that if your parents aren't there, can an auntie uncle type situation be there to, to bring it up the rear? <laughs> oh no, my <laughs> sisters, my sisters are, are like, I, I need her to know. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and we don't we don't want to add to the statistic. Yeah, but, you know when I teach my students who are you know undergraduates or adults, I I say, well, this is simple. We have the, a number of people in the class. Pick one to males, one to six. One of them in that group was sexually assaulted. Pick one to four. Four girls. One of the girls in that group, probably two in that group was sexually assaulted. Mm -hmm. So, so that's the price you pay. Yeah, it is. Um, so what I I, I've also been, question, though. no, it was okay. I, what I've okay. also been seeing though, is that parents, some of the more, um, aware parents, if you will, the ones that are willing to go to that next level of, I didn't th get this kind of protection. So mm -hmm. I'm going to overdo it with you kind of maybe. Mm -hmm. Um, but I've seen like, I, I'm no longer seeing people requiring their children to hug their friends. Like if I go to their house and see I their agree. kids, Hey buddy, what's up? You know? And then like, if they don't react or respond to me, I'll do a high five motion. If they don't want to high five me, I don't even care. Like I'm not looking for them to provide affection to me because hugging is very personal to a lot of people. I and it's just a weird too. way to open the door to just, inappropriate touching in general so like I'm finding that a majority of the people I know are doing this kind of like nope we're not gonna make our kids physically touch people if they don't want to should, right now to be perfectly honest we, we never should have right no Here, here's here's the thing you know just like we sense people so do children and children Absolutely. So more than we do they're so much better at it and if we're gonna teach body boundaries if you don't know my friend you don't have to say hi to them and you right. don't have to touch them. And no. you know, a lot of people, if you ever look at babies, babies are fidgeting and trying to get out. No, don't just automatically go pick up this being. This being has to give you permission. Mm -hmm. If being did not give me permission, me as a psychologist and all the information I know, I always say, you don't have, you don't, you don't have to hug me at all. You let me know when you're comfortable with me. Right. I, we, I don't need for you to hug me or high five me. I'm Lisa mm -hmm. and I love your mom. Yep. Right? <laughs> and, those are, and those are the, you know, we are great friends, me and your mom. So when mm -hmm. you're comfortable with me, you can come and give me all the kisses and hugs. I'll take them. But oh, if, yeah. you're not, if you're never comfortable with me, I understand. Yeah. And that's, and no I drama. think that's, 
a great thing to teach kids. I think we should continue to to teach children at the young age of like, you don't need to let everybody in your personal bubble. Yeah. I mean, the real, the real conversation here is about consent and it's an easy way to bridge the conversation between um, if you're uncomfortable, uh, if it escalates. So if there's parents who don't want to have these conversations with children at the very least they could teach them about consent right but if we continue to tell them oh go hug go hug your friend go hug yeah. my friend no no, mm-hmm. no that should have never happened we but like i said we learn we live and we learn and it is easier um for a child for me because i'm always concerned well what does that mean if we do nothing today right? How many other kids will be on that list? And what we do know about sexual predation and sexual sex offenders is that somebody else is going to be harmed. If Mm -hmm. any of these celebrity um, trials have shown us is that the list is longer when we do nothing, right? And so now we find ourselves backtracking. And so what, what happens to that child that, going back to mental health, right? What happens to that child when they are sexually assaulted, right? When they are penetrated. Now you have years of trauma that must be fixed. I can't tell you the link between addiction and sexual mm-hmm. The link between suicide and sexual trauma. The link between depression and sexual trauma. It doesn't matter that you're in a great relationship and it happened 20 years ago. You still experience that because you got to understand our memory is sensory if Mm -hmm. you walk in a store and you smell the cologne of the person who sexually assaulted you you're right back in that trauma Mm -hmm. oh yeah your body never forgets ever touches you similarly that you love and is your is your is your sweetie but they just do the same sequence of things you're right back in that trauma yeah right? And you're sad and you're depressed and your body may go through all kinds of shakes and shivers because that's what anxiety and panic is, right? And when we get to depression, sometimes it's really difficult to pull yourself out of that depressed state and you don't even know it's there. I had a a client, she worked with kids. When it came to get in the pool, she freaked out. And so one of her, um, one of her coworkers threw her in the water and she was crying and screaming and yelling uncontrollably. And since I'm a hypnotherapist, we go back, we just go back to her getting in the water. Mind you, she's been sexually assaulted at five. She tucked it away, hid it in her subconscious and it was the water that brought it out. And so repeatedly, repeatedly, She couldn't teach her kids how to swim. She was always afraid of the water, but she didn't know why. And like I said, when a child or a teen experiences shock, your body is going to fight for you. Your body is going to say, we can't deal with this. I'm going to tuck it away. We don't ever have to visit it again. But your body has to release it, right? That's the catharsis of therapy right? It has to release it. It's going to, and when it, when it feels that you're healthiest and you're ready to deal with it, then all those emotions come flooding back. I can't tell you how many clients I have with those emotions came flooding back and they didn't know that they were there. Yeah. I was um, mentioning how I watched uh, Luckiest Girl Alive on Netflix and it's a screenplay adaptation of a book and it has true events um, from the author who, who did the book and the screenplay. And um, one thing that she talked about as far as the difference between the book and the screenplay is that in the screenplay, it's been about seven years since the book came out and she could actively see back in her book when she was referencing it for, for passages and such that she clearly had a problem with food. And so in the movie, she had an opportunity now because it's seven years later mm-hmm. to show how she was like binge eating and so obsessed with appearance and all this stuff. And it didn't start until after she had been raped. 
Mm -hmm. And she didn't even really connect it or even see it for herself. And she put it in a book. Wow. You know, and and, yeah. And and, I mean, she figured it out obviously and has worked on it and now is, is coming to terms with it enough that she put it in a movie and, and it didn't necessarily have to be in the movie, but it was important to her because she conquered it, but she just couldn't believe it when she was going back and reading her own book, how many times it was there and referenced. And she was just like, I don't even remember putting it in there. Yeah. Wow. I want to read this book now too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm in the interesting thing about the movie is because it did happen so long after the book that I'm sure there's a lot of different notes and things that are adaptations and other experiences she also had contributed an essay to Lenny letter as well and so there's things from that in there but she specifically wanted the movie to take place prior to the me too movement um because she had come out with all this prior to me too and the thing that shocked her the most about the feedback that she had received is not the amount of women who contacted her about how it made them feel comfortable to share their story in general it was the amount of women that she actually knew versus strangers oh that's the sad part Mm -hmm. because you just don't know what these women around us are carrying right exactly and and more importantly it's very intimate and when people say and it just gets gets i, I mean enrages me is a better word before i start cursing um well, you're that, allowed though that's that, a place where we do that, that here we do that <laughs> <laughs> that people say oh well why didn't you it must not be true because you didn't tell anybody how do you know how First of all, I always say men because men are usually the ones who tell me this. I said, if somebody fucked you in your ass. Yep. Tell, right. Right. And tell? how long would it fucking take you? How who long would it take you to admit that tell? happened out loud? Yeah. And if it was a friend of yours? Tell. Who tells you say that? out loud. In the athletic room? Who would you tell? Right. Why would you want to tell somebody that? Fucking nobody. First of all, when you tell these things, it makes you more vulnerable. It makes you look weak. It makes you look as if you could have prevented it. Do you know how much shame and guilt is surrounded by? I couldn't keep myself safe. Mm-hmm. When people have these internal conversations that are about safety. How did I let me down? And when they get through all of that baggage, then it's like, I should have saw the signs. The internal conflict that people face, if they come to the realization that they could have done something, most of the time it happens within seconds. Within seconds. Mm -hmm. Right? And and for kids, can you imagine teens and children who this is their first sexual experience? You know how many women, their first sexual experience was rape? Mm -hmm. Someone they loved and cared about? I don't know how many women that's the stat we should be looking at right first sexual experience and it was violent right and if we go and if we just lump everybody into it you know because men don't understand in sport in the sports world there's a lot of sexual provocative play that Mm -hmm. ends up being too much i remember sayerville new jersey had this huge scandal because they were holding the boys down and sticking their fingers in their butt now who wants that? <laughs> Nobody. <laughs> who wants that even in play? And one kid went home and told her, and it was a ritual. It was a ritual carried from one team to the next year to the next. And, and, and the thing is, is they would click the lights off. They would chant something and then they'd find the freshman. Could you imagine? Could you imagine? Oh, I hell cannot. No. And I it, it reminds me of hazing. It like is hazing. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, realistic violence, physical violence, right? That's frat all boys. Sexual. Fucking frat and, boys. Yeah. And so here's the crazy thing. <laughs> when they, when they canceled the football uh, program that year, the parents were outraged. 
Maybe not outraged it. about the hazing incident. Outraged no, about, the it was football. about football. It was We're in America. Football. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget America. where we're at now. <laughs> Friday Night Lights and all that fun shit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, so I appreciate everything that you talked about today and trying to give us simple understandings and simple ways to... I guess, gracefully go into these conversations. Um, you know, we have this little segment that we call add a girl, which we pat ourselves on the back for something good that we've done or something good that's happened to us. And quite honestly, I mean, it sounds like your entire existence is an add a girl. But what you do all day, every day, every time you wake up, truly, truly. <laughs> um, it's amazing that you have found this to be your purpose and we need more people like you. So um, a lot more people like you, cause yeah, yeah. like the passion you bring to the table is actually what's the most important part. The passion and what you do is what makes it so much like so palatable, Thank this you so terrible much. topic. Right. Well, Sorry. It didn't feel so bad. Did it? No. No, no. But we also are like, we'll talk about whatever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because everything is real that <laughs> yeah. you talk about it all okay. yeah yeah Why um when it comes straight to you live <laughs> yeah <Right. laughs> um so my at a girl is not as profound as helping however many people <laughs> that you've helped um I am just trying to help myself and I uh went through three different tests to evaluate if I'm a candidate for a like stomach surgery for acid reflux. Mm -hmm. And they were all terrible. It's not been great. Zero out of 10 recommendation. Um, I, although am proud of myself for making it through all of them, there was one. Well, yes, because there was one where it, it was, it was real bad. You're awake and they put this like catheter like thing up your nose and down your throat and into your stomach and you have to like swallow stuff. Like they're measuring the strength of your esophagus is what's happening. So you feel it in you the entire time and you have to swallow stuff so they can capture it like on a chart. It's bad. And I completed the test I did not give up despite the fact that I was gagging like every five seconds and barfed um <laughs> several times I'm sorry to hear that <laughs> I know Hang on, so, guys, <laughs> I'm just adding a little bit of color to it because like when I say it's terrible it means it's real bad because I don't really complain about much so anyway that's my add a girl yes ma'am I did it. You did it. Oh, right? oh. Did it for the greater good, though. That's what you have to do. Oh well, that was it for um, the surgeon. I have one more test to do for the the GI specialist. Hopefully, that <laughs> one won't be too bad because uh, you know every one of these tests, you can't eat for like twelve hours. Can't even have like a sip of water because you are in a position where they're sticking things down into your stomach, so they don't want stuff coming up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so um but yeah so my other girl is i survived because hell yeah man nope the nurse told me that a lot of people don't complete it like they don't get through it i don't need to know that much thanks <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get it though. I put myself through the ringer trying to figure it out too. So, add a girl. <laughs> add a girl. Ooh. Yeah, it was probably TMI, but I really wanted no. to hone in on how terrible it was. No, anyway, I mean, that's you're good. That's your experience. <laughs> you're allowed. Uh, Sarah, what's your add a girl? Well, this weekend, um, we so we moved. I moved, and my boyfriend and I bought a house together, and we moved in like April, September timeframe, and we're slowly getting it put together and this weekend we chose to take Sunday off and take a motorcycle out for a ride and we took about 
two, almost 300 mile bike ride. And it was wow. a little chilly, but we had a great time. And I'm like really happy that we did it. I needed to get out of here. I needed to go do that and like not worry about stuff for a little while. So it was really great to have that like break. And I allowed myself to fully enjoy it instead of panicking about, you know, things that have to be put to home, put away back home. So yeah, that's my Atta girl. Atta girl. Yeah, Atta girl. Thanks. Well, made so Mondays, I- made Mondays workday a little less terrible. I will say that for sure. <laughs> <laughs> there is also the type of person who will binge watch a show or chill out on the couch, but then still think about and look around the house about what she needs to do. So getting out of the house was a good idea. (laughs) You just, you just, listen, if you saw my house right now, my sweetie, he's, he's in St. Croix and he's coming back Wednesday for my birthday. So I decided I was going to change the furniture and I was like, why can't I do DIY and make it match the headboard? I got out my paint kit, my porch is all jacked up. Okay, still got paint everywhere. <laughs> I'm putting together. <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm putting together a new just just a drawer. I didn't already broke it. <laughs> oh my! <laughs> this happened today. Okay, <laughs> I've already broke it. <laughs> also, he could have a nice new fresh bedroom when he comes. <laughs> But it's your and it's your birthday, so he can have something when it's your birthday. You... It is, but every now and then, you know, he's been gone for a minute, so okay. You little Libra, down for him, and I am not a <laughs> DIYer, but <laughs> I got some Gorilla Glue and fix that dresser. <laughs> so, add a girl, Lisa, you're gonna do it. It's gonna be ready to go. You're <laughs> like, like if. They had to surgically remove that girl's hair who used the Gorilla Glue. It'll fix this headboard. <laughs> I saw that. I saw that. And I'm thinking, girl, <laughs> you going to get it off. But I'm telling you, I needed it today. Okay. Epoxy. Yeah. <laughs> I needed it today. Hell yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Oh yes, I I am getting it together. I swear he cannot come home and see this house. It's like shit. <laughs> oh my god, so funny. <laughs> if you DIY, you know you make a mess. You make a mess. Yes, I you know do. they don't show that on the TV shows. No, no. <laughs> I can barely get to my bathroom. There's shit everywhere. <laughs> oh, you. good luck! My goodness, you got this. For three days, okay. You got this. <laughs> I, I do, I do, I do. Yeah, <laughs> take a nap, here. recharge. <laughs> I don't want to tell him I can't pick him up from the airport because you know I'm still making pillows. <laughs> <laughs> well, tell everybody how they can find you, where they can go to get all your stuff, and how they can get in touch with you, Absolutely. and then we can let you go so you can make your pillows. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. So you can find me at right to consent. That's right. The number two consent.com. That's a sex crime reporting app that you put in all. We ask all the questions that the police will ask you if you want to report, but you can also find my books there. Chad keeps the secret was my first children's book. And that's available. If you have five to nine year olds, I also have Aaliyah um, can't tell her secret. That's also five to nine. But for the parents, I have the blaming and shaming of defenseless victims in America's rape culture. And all of that you can find on that website. If you need to contact me, I'm on Instagram at right to consent. You can uh, go to my website, right to consent.com. And I'm available. If you send me a DM, I promise you, I always respond. So thank you so much for having me. It was great talking to you. Oh, no, thank you. And then there's also um, another website called Want to Talk About It, specifically for mental health um, that Netflix has put together based on the movie I talked about. So if you're not looking to um, 
specifically deal with a sex crime, but you're looking for maybe some resources on what you should be doing for mental health or things of that nature, you can also go to want to talk about it. Yeah. Um, and Rain, Rain has it, R-A-I-N-N, and one in six.org is for males. Who's been thank you. Snap those sexually assaulted by priests. Oh, wow. Okay. Yep. It's real out here, folks. So I hope that this made a difference in that just understanding how approachable Lisa is, that there's somebody who will believe you. There's somebody who can help you. Um, Tell everybody. Yes. Tell everybody. everybody. No one's keeping secrets. Tell everybody. (laughs) And if you are interested in getting in contact with us, you can go on Instagram at homance underscore chronicles or send us an email homancepodcast at gmail.com. And we, again, are so thankful that you're in the world doing this. Yes. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Miss Lisa Smith. Beautiful. Beautiful. So are you inside? (laughs) Oh, Thank you. We will have a beautiful week, but I thought you were saying we we're beautiful and so are you inside and out. <laughs> Homans <Thank> out. <laughs> Thank you so much, beautiful ladies. <laughs> <laughs>